everybody, and welcome back to Writing the Rapids, the show where I, Joe Balecki, talk to writers about writing. Very often, those writers are suggested to me by writers who have previously been on the show. In the case of this month's guest, M. Kitchell, he's been suggested to me by at least Mike Klein and John Treffrey. He's been on my radar for a very long time, so I'm very happy that he has now been on the show. M. Kitchell is an artist and movement practitioner who lives in Oakland, dedicated to obsessive research and the literal act of finding. Kitchell is primarily concerned with the impossible or perhaps the outside, and levitation or perhaps the float. An expanded list of his interests include landscape, his limit experience, hunting the void, ecstatic and trance stage, inversion practice, Georges Bataille's list of apparently sovereign behaviors, and the space of the book and film as an autonomous medium. Most of his work can be found at Inside the Castle or Aphonic dot space as well as other various literary magazines and some places that are much harder to find than others before we get into my conversation i'm going to ask you for money this is me asking you for money patreon.com slash noisemaker joe is the best place for you to go to support this show and my work and me in general for two bucks a month you get early episodes for five bucks a month you get the same and a special serial story for 10 bucks i'll send you a copy of my book with my name written in it and give you a shout out at the end of podcast episodes that's patreon.com slash noisemaker joe also we're about a quarter of the way to a discord channel for writing the rapids if that's something you're into maybe that'll push you over the edge if you've been indecisive. There's also the opportunity for one-time donations at paypal.me slash noisemakerjoe. Feels weird to constantly be asking people for money, but hey, that's the game, so. So that's enough of that. Let's get into my conversation with M. Kitchell. I think I want to start with House of Leaves. I've read in an interview with yours of yours a while ago that that was... Uh, that Danieluski's work was an influence and it has that book has been a sticking point in my brain for a while as like the gateway into non-traditional non-formal literature and that interview that I read you talking about it and was was a while ago um but so I'm interested to know kind of how you address House of Leaves in your life these days. Well, it's it's kind of interesting you bring it up because um, I actually tried to reread it probably seven months ago. Hmm. Um, I mean, time has no meaning in the pandemic, so it might have been longer than that. It was since Shelter-in-Place started in California. Um so my I wrote a kind of imagined film novella um, about an apocryphal director that Apocalypse Party is publishing at some point this year. Um, but it had initially come out in 2009, 2010 from uh, like in an issue of No Colony that uh, Blake Butler and Ken Bauman published. Um, but because Ben from Apocalypse Party had uh, messaged me and said, asked if I wanted to worked with them on a project and i was kind of like well i've been thinking about this film book um i feel like it's actually it holds up even though it was kind of the first thing i really published and not many people have read it because of the container it came in eventually um i ended up going on this weird sort of tangent in my reading where i was reading a lot of contemporary-ish novels about kind of like uh for want of a better term like haunted films um or like stuff like 
that's addressed in like uh, um, John Carpenter's Cigarette Burns. Um, so I read a lot of books in a condensed period of time. And it, I kind of realized I should reread House of Leaves um, while I was kind of going through that thing, that phase or whatever. Um, and I was interested because I had a thought that I read that book when I was like 13, I think. Mm. Um, like I was, you know, as a, I was a 13 year old and I bought like an electronic music magazine and there was like a brief profile of it in this like rave culture magazine. Um, and I was like, Oh, this is cool. Like I like horror movies and like, I like reading and like this, it's really interesting that this doesn't look like a normal page. Um, so when I read it at age 13 or whatever, it was kind of like, you know, as one would expect, because I think I, that was probably the year it came out. It was like a shocking experience. Um, and it, was very informative in multiple ways um sort of talking about film and its effective power um which has been a very kind of sticking point of what i'm interested in um kind of tangential relationships with horror tropes um, that sometimes manifest in more kind of spatial architectural constructions rather than inherent sort of uh, slasher or whatever things. Um, and then, of course, the, the shape of the text on the page itself. Um, and I think for most people, that's probably, I mean, most people who spend time with the book if you can get over some of its shortcomings, which I'll talk about momentarily, the fact that that book does manage to use sort of formal techniques to help sort of communicate a sort of energy and tension, um, I think is is actually really great. Um, and like also like it, it's got that annoying sort of late 90s post theory thing where it kind of takes post-structuralism on a very literal surface in some of its usage, which was one of the super annoying things in rereading it um, that I thought was kind of interesting and cool when I was 13 and didn't know what theory was. And suddenly there were these French people being mentioned. Um, so my, my thought in returning to the book was like, okay, I need to figure out how much of this shit like I forgot I took from this book. And by the shit, I mean kind of some of the techniques that I still am invested in um, versus like I wanted to kind of try to justify my memory of the reading experience with a sort of reality 20 years later almost. Um, so I bought a copy of Amazon because, you know, you can spend $10 and have it to your house the next day now. Um, and I started reading it and I didn't finish it. Mm. <laughs> I made it about... I think 150 pages in and even a lot of the stuff that I remembered as being interesting felt a little too obvious at that, at this point. And I think that's fine. Um, like I am the kind of person who can very much be entirely throwing myself into something at a particular moment. And then if I discover that three years later, that, that, thing no longer does anything for me i don't really get upset um 
I think part of internet culture is like holding on to childhood things you liked and not wanting to see them ruined or something. But realistically, moving through the world, like you encounter things at certain moments of your life, they're not always going to feel the same way. Um, yeah, so I mean, like the stuff that I remember being annoying, because I had tried to read the book, reread the book one other time before, um, probably closer to like 2020. 2008 maybe um which i don't think i finished it then either i read it twice when i was like an early teen and then i don't think i read it i've read it in full since then hmm. um but like i remember that the like the the sort of narrative the johnny truant narrative was annoying in this sort of like heterosexual bullshit that dominates most of it um but then the the embedded novel um was what I was more interested in, both even when I read it the first time uh, and now. But even that kind of felt like very, very, very 90s. Mm. <laughs> uh, like I said, which is fine. Like, I think there are people who are like, wait, I didn't ask, can I swear on yeah. this? Oh yeah, this is for the <laughs> internet. <laughs> uh, like, I know there are a lot of people who are like, fuck that book, this is stupid as hell. Um, and there's an extent where, like, yeah, it is. But for me, it will always be the book that kind of did expose me to the fact that you could do things with text on a page that were almost visual and signified and carried meaning without just being descriptive, kind of uh, third-party delivery of empathetic information. Uh, so that was my long-winded way mm -hmm. of saying I appreciate the fact that I read that book when I did. Uh, I think it definitely played a very important role in help shaping what I've become now in many ways. But it doesn't mean I still think the book's any good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think probably at this point, someone who had never encountered the the idea that you can do different things with the page, I don't necessarily think that would be the best first book to approach. Um, I think there's other things that have done it a lot better, even at a very kind of accessible um, genre-based level. Um, and like, I get the frustration because, as kind of a lifelong horror movie fan, the fact that there's this moment right now where like A24, quote unquote, elevated horror is suddenly <laughs> making people who don't give a shit about horror films start pretending like they do. It's like, yeah, I get it. When you're invested in something, and suddenly a bunch of people who have actively been kind of against what you're for start trying to pretend like they know what they're talking about it's always going to be a little frustrating um so i mean i like the idea of experimental literature people always blob onto something with their identity and house of leaves is kind of like the bro at the party who accidentally does something really cool and works <laughs> his way in and infiltrates um but that's fine like you know I feel like as I've gotten older, the fact that people hold grudges about weird shit on the internet is one of the strangest thing about existence to me. Um, yeah, I mean, like, life is short. Like, who cares if you don't like this book and it really helps someone else? It's fine. Right. Yeah, I. it was not the first experimental book I read, and I think I read it just so that I could get in on the memes of it um i think the thing that really pushed me over the edge is seeing somebody on twitter say um 
something to the effect of we have to admit that House of Leaves is just creepypasta. And I was like, well, I like creepypasta. You know, <laughs> yeah. Ted the Caver is pretty great. So let's like, let's go. Um, like I have Honestly, a... I feel like creepypasta is in a lot of ways more interesting than House of Leaves at this point. I think so too. At least at least at that point in your life where uh it can work for you. Like yeah. R or R slash no sleep um you know kept me up before I really got into Reddit. That sort of thing. But um Okay, yeah, I, I like, um, I like your answer. It, it is acceptable to me. <laughs> Near the beginning of your answer, you were talking about the Apocalypse Party book that's coming out, and um, how it's a lot of old stuff. And one of the things about Experimental Men that I found really interesting was how it's, uh a collection of a lot of work that came from other places a while before experimental men came out and the iterative nature of your work uh i find interesting like uh, even hour of the wolf was published one way before it made its way to inside the castle which is where i read it yes um i'm always there's this interesting thing where I was at one point called prolific by someone, but the reality is all of the books I've published in the last four years, um, like in like paperback form, um, basically all the books on John's press, three out of four of those consisted exclusively of work that was written or came into the world in some way, probably like, 10 to 4 years before the books came out um, and like even in the Desert of Mute Squares all of those fragments were written probably a good 3 years before the book came out um, and it wasn't until I kind of pitched the project to John that I turned them into a book um, but I think so because I I don't necessarily consider myself a writer. Hmm. Um, like I, there's a note at the end of Prelude to Transgression too, where I kind of denounce the identity of the writer. Um, I would say that I do write. Um, I certainly do write things. And what I denounce is actually the identity or the role of the writer, because that is not, I think anyone who identifies themselves as a writer has a different sort of motivating factor than I do. Um, it's There's been a lot of kind of over the years, the way I've kind of expressed what I'm about to say has kind of shifted in terms of the actual language I'm using. And I think part of it is just refining what it is that I feel like I do. Uh, and this this is actually very relevant to the question of the books. Um, but really what I'm interested in doing is sort of communicating a sense of energy. Um, and I will kind of qualify before I launch into this, that most of the reading that has, most of what has informed 
the way I kind of think about and talk about my practice has been kind of a very long-term engagement with the writings of Georges Bataille and then uh, a recent-ish kind of deep dive into kind of the writing and thought and practice of Jerzy Grotowski, um, who I'm sure there's a better Polish pronunciation of that, but I don't know what it is. Um, so what I am always interested in kind of diving into in terms of what I kind of consider research is uh, kind of paradigms that help me frame and actually articulate what it is that I've always had this sort of impulse towards, but maybe not had the capacity to really tap into that impulse. Um, and so the way I'm going to describe this right now uh, might end up being rearticulated in a couple years. Um, and the echo of me saying that has to do with the book itself. Um, but to try to make this actually deliver information rather than just talking around things. When I say I'm interested in communicating energy, uh, I think there are different ways to do that. Um, communication as kind of an idea is very important both for Bataille and for Grotowski in the sense that you're not, it's not literally indicating like a conversation or like being able to say something to someone else, but rather it's actually providing someone with something, giving them access to something that they formerly did not have access to. Um, and my interest in art or anything sort of expressive in general is that idea of communication and the idea of being able to communicate a sort of, uh, again, for want of a better term, phenomenological sensation or experience of something outside of your own self. Um, so kind of the way I talked about this in the past and probably the last time I was doing interviews was more along the lines of insisting upon work being not representational uh, in the fact that you are representing an experience for someone to experience sort of via a third party sense of empathy or kind of through the cipher of a character. So the experience is the experience of a character that then you are privy to rather than the experience being your own experience. Uh, I'm interested in actually providing the space of experience. Uh, so the way I th think about that sort of uh, construct now is more about communication of energy. Um, and kind of depending on who you talk to, the idea of this energy is either kind of like hippy-dippy shit um, or kind of like a literal, I don't have the sort of scientific discourse or vocabulary to discuss it, but it can be taken either as something very concrete or as something very sort of uh, non-concrete, abstract. Um, for me, it sits somewhere in between. Uh, I've engaged a lot with kind of ideas and studies of mysticism and ritual, uh, not necessarily before like sort of the aesthetic import, but rather because I think there's something there. And this is a very battalion concept um, and also branches out to Blaine Show, who's kind of another cornerstone of my thought, where there's an interest in sort of articulating the impossible or things that are not able to really be represented. Um, so when I say I'm interested in sort of communicating 
a sense of energy. When I myself sit down to write, for it to be successful, um, I kind of enter a sort of state where there is a very sort of somatic sensation that I experience in my own body. Um, I'm not interested in kind of didactically delivering something for you to think about. Rather, I want to figure out how to translate that energy, that experience, that sensation in my body to the person who is encountering the book, the text, the performance, the video, whatever, um, and experience something on their own. Uh, and I'm very, I, my hope is that it's a more embodied sensation rather than just an intellectual one. Um, so with the sort of, the way that the books happen is as I kind of started going into the idea that my, because I'm interested in communicating this energy my approach to that has been to kind of refine and rearticulate how I'm doing that. So the way that I kind of experimental man, I think is a really good, or I should say probably the most concrete example of that in the sense that all of those, all of the work in experimental men is kind of the more explicitly narrative ish work that I've worked with lately. Um, but all very much kind of, all of the narratives kind of articulate something similar, which is kind of a sort of uh, quest for the impossible um, to kind of banalize it to an extent. Um, but because I'm trying to talk about this and describe it instead of just present you with the text, I feel like it has to be banalized. Um, with that work, all of, there's all of those narratives in that book are basically narratives of the quest. Um, and there's also, I'm going to t briefly interrupt myself here, which I have a tendency to do. Uh, I was talking with Garrett Strickland recently, and we discussed this sort of idea that so many people in the world kind of have this sort of fixation and obsession with conflict. Um, but for both of us, the only kind of conflict that we find any sort of interest in is kind of, you know, in terms of the classical tropes of conflict is kind of man versus himself um, like we're not neither of us are interested in sort of the conflict with someone outside of the self and you know for better or worse who knows to approach that and to approach that with narrative um, and to try to find the things that I feel like my work has interrogated um, there's a visual artist, Eric Orr, um, who I like quite a bit, who is very, very not well known. He's a California artist. I encountered a painting of his um, kind of at random at, I think, LACMA um, that was just part of the permanent collection that really start, like stood out to me. Um, he was friends with James Lee Byers and Thomas McEvely. Uh, Byers is a little more well known and McEvely is way more well known as a writer about art. Um, but he has articulated that one of his interests is hunting the void. Um, and I've kind of adapted that as a description of what my narrative work does. Um, so all of this is a long way to come around to say all of the work in experimental men 
deals with this sort of void hunt, this sort of idea of the conflict against the self, and this sort of desire for an impossible sense of something beyond kind of the normalcy of existence, the kind of regular states. You know, obviously all of those narratives deal with kind of pushing towards some sort of extreme sensation of the figure. Um, and uh, so I feel like all of that work, when you put it together, communicates that idea much better than some of those texts did on their own um, or in other collections. And I think there's also an accumulative effect where going through that book, kind of in the order I placed it in, uh, it's kind of like being able to experience the same thing from many different angles and you can come away with a larger understanding of that. So because that was sort of the conception of the book, uh, thinking of it not as archive, but rather as like representation to try to really help communicate what I wanted those texts to do uh, is where the shape of the book comes from. And that is generally same thing with like Hour of the Wolf. It was kind of a better articulation of what I had set out to do with the book. It was a chance to refine it. Uh, Prelude to Transgression was kind of sort of wanted to, I wanted to contextualize the space between the narrative work and a lot of the work I've been working on for years that isn't done or isn't published. Um, just because, because my interest is in this communication of energy, I'm not aiming for obtusity. Um, I think because what I write about is kind of very non, like immaterial and kind of conceptually difficult to a certain extent, I don't want to just present sort of as esoteric. Um, like I'm not trying to hide anything. I'm actually trying to do the opposite. I'm trying to actually provide a more direct route into these kind of ideas that completely overwhelm me. Um, so with the Bushs, that is why they come about the way they do. Um, but at this point, I think like with the republication of the text that's coming out in the Apocalypse Party book, that basically all of the stuff I've written before five years ago that I actually care about, uh, with the exception of one book, Variations on the Sun, will have been republished and actually available and in a form that I feel like articulates what I wanted to. Hmm. Um, so basically, this has been a very long period of trying to kind of Pre prepare a space for what it is that I'm working on doing now. Hmm. I just go on and on sometimes. I love I? it. <laughs> it's so good. One one of the best pieces of um, journalistic advice I ever got uh, was you have to figure out how to perform the person you're talking to. And I have found that to be very easy with writers and I like it a whole lot. Um, but that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, or, or brings light to, um, the bit at the end of experimental men where you're like, all right, I'm cleansing myself of all of this and yeah. moving on. And especially since experimental men, um, felt more extreme 
to me than Desert Mute Squares or Hour of the Wolf. Uh, it was very much like a turned up to 11 sort of thing on, on the themes that you had been exploring. And then Prelude to Transgression felt very different. I mean, the, the book is like three quarters of the size. Yeah. And um, much more... Um, uh, what's the word? Much more poetic in the way you expect to see poetics, I guess. Um, There's more space on the page. Right. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I do like the fact that you actually pointed out the fact that the, the physicality of the book itself is smaller. Yeah. Um, because that was obviously very intentional on my part because the, the first three books John put out are all the same size in terms of width and height. They have different page counts. Um, and even there was a, a moment where I thought I wanted to possibly move to a different press just to kind of like emphasize the break. Hmm. But then I realized I really like working with John and I'm not actually interested in kind of having to find another press to work with. Yeah. And so it just kind of felt like you know, why ruin a good thing just to make some sort of conceptual statement. Um, so I was like, okay, I can do this a different way. Um, yeah. Yes. Um, good. I mean, great. Cool. <laughs> that is, that was what I hoped for. So good. I'm glad that was what you got out of it. Yeah. Um, well, I think it helps too, that you do the, the layout. Uh, cause as I, as I look, I have, three of those books right in front of me. So like, as I'm looking at the spines, as I look at the cover, um, like experimental men is big and prelude to transgression is small. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, I guess I'm, I'm interested in trying to, uh, better understand what hunting the void means. So, the idea of the void hunt again this is going to be one of those things where i'll probably long-windedly talk about and hopefully circle around to what it is that i want to say um and because for me sometimes it's easier to link on to something uh more concrete in terms of my own research uh i do want to qualify that like i will make reference a lot probably throughout this conversation to Bataille, Grotowski, and Blanchot. Um, and the reason for that is because for me, they're kind of anchors that help me kind of structure what it is that I have thought about more so than necessarily something I'm trying to sort of sycophantically uh, follow mm. <laughs> or insist upon. Um, I think there, you know, I, I don't, there's not a single person that I feel like is unfailing in terms of what they've done. Um, anyway, so the idea of the void hunt is kind of a cheeky way to address this desire to find something outside of regular experience. Um, the term Bataille uses is the impossible, um, which he also at times called the stake um, or method of meditation um, or inner experience. Uh, like for Blanchot, it's the idea of the 
fact that you can experience you can never know your own death you can only experience the death of another or die yourself where at that point you have no conscious experience of your own death um and then for grotowski it's kind of a via negativa where it's removing all of the things that are in the way of kind of the freedom for you to exist in a space um so it's also a very it's a it's a very interesting way for me i think to work narratively with a very abstract concept um and especially because a lot of the narratives i was interested in growing up were you know had all these genre tropes and are very tainted by just kind of obsessively watching horror but also not just wanting to find the sort of excess despair whatever not just as kind of extremities in their own but as extremities that like open up the way towards something else um so and i mean that's a very battalion concept but the idea of the void hunt or kind of the impossible or the outside or the night is another blenchoian term for it is that it is something arguably inaccessible it is something that is beyond what you have access to so there is the idea of using these states of extremity um to be able like the, the idea of transgression itself the idea of encountering extremity as a way to move beyond where where what is currently accessible where you currently are so it's kind of a metaphysical conceit in the sense that if you're just I, I don't even want to say dissatisfied but the insistence that there is something else um and maybe that something else is freedom maybe that something else is death maybe that something else is a weird amorphous blob on a quantum spectrum maybe that something else is whatever but i mean the idea that there isn't anything else or that there is no there is nothing to transcend to or again transcendence and eminence is another more loaded term than i maybe want to use the idea that there is not somewhere else mm. to me is is not something that the interest is going beyond um and I mean, you know, I can say this over and over again, but there's a certain extent where I feel like the work interrogates what I mean by that sure. a little better than what I'm going to say right now. Um, and it's not it's not like a concrete, definable, this is this and that is that. It's, you know, it's, it's inherently just... Hmm. Yeah, okay, I'm just going to stop there for I, now. <laughs> I got you. I understand. I, that's a sense that my limited theory reading limited philosophy reading brain um has been like prodding toward that that idea and i think that there's a i don't know post-atheism moment that that has been sort of developing since online atheists have just devolved into like right-wing trolls where yeah. like wait okay so christianity is fine for some people um and atheism seems to just kind of be that but 
with a pocket protector. So, you know, some, something else. I think B.R. Yeager was talking about that with regard to negative space in an interview. Um, Blake B- Butler talked about that sort of idea um, with regard to like the end of 300 million when that was coming out and he was doing interviews about it. And I don't know. I get I get stuck um, when. Well, when... I think that's good because um, I think the the thing is like we should get stuck because mm-hmm. the the idea of all of these things, this sort of again, I'm going to constantly say this for want of a better term, this sort of sense of atheological mysticism to intentionally explicitly quote Bataille. Um, is that it goes beyond language and it is it's it's what bataille calls non-knowledge it's not something we can comprehend in a way that we normally discuss comprehension or knowledge uh it's outside of that um and bataille in one of his uh journals um makes the proclamation uh we are ferociously religious um and there's very much an articulated difference between kind of being religious or being spiritual and inherently buying into a doctrine mm-hmm. uh, that mandates or insists upon certain either or factors. Like the, the idea is that all of this is inherently outside of that anyway. So we should hit a point where suddenly we don't have words for what it is. We don't have a way to kind of describe what it is. Um, and that for me is what's really exciting. And that's what all the work is trying to do is to come as close to that point as possible um, with the inherent kind of built in fact that you will never, you can never actually get there via kind of mediated uh, work because it is inherently something that exists outside of representation. Hmm. And I think also, like, I don't, my my hope is that. Um, I don't think anyone needs to read theory or philosophy. Um, like, I feel like, like I mentioned in terms of my qualification that for me, like Bataille Blanchot and Grotowski are just ways for me to have kind of concrete things to latch onto that help me articulate more to myself what it is I'm trying to do. Um, I don't think necessarily, like, for instance, a lot of the stuff that I bring up might not communicate what it means to me in the way it does to someone who hasn't read these texts. Um, And I think that's sort of the inherent problem. It's more so with theory than philosophy, because I find a lot of theory is just kind of articulating a way to discuss things that the only other people that understand what you're saying are the people who have that same understanding of language. Um, So that's not inherently helpful in a wider sense. What's more interesting to me is actually coming around to ways to try to communicate these ideas that are not dependent upon like having to define different words to specifically indicate this or that. Rather, it's more about just opening a space where you can experience your own sensation. And then by encountering that sensation, you're probably closer to whatever it is than whatever the theory says about it. Mm. Yeah, I have a desire maybe through this podcast even to like democratize the experimental writing that exists out there now um i brought up 
to John. Um, I think I even brought up to Mike Klein to that. Um, there's a block that, um, I or people around me encounter when reading this type of work, um, where we don't feel like we're smart enough to, to read it. Um, and John got kind of bristly at that and, um, you know, didn't like that people have to feel that way, but, um, yeah, there, there are certain writers where I can interface with the work and then leave it at that. And then somewhere I feel like I have to go beyond that, um, but don't have the tool set to do the going beyond. I think that's an interesting thing to bring up because I think it's actually what I would insist, um, for kind of what you're describing is probably not so much that you don't have the tool set to go beyond, but rather the idea that because of the way culture in general kind of presents a singular way of engaging with most things, as soon as a work like, uh, honestly, and in an open fashion, uh, like intends to kind of disregard what has been established by the culture as the rules for reading it um it's it's kind of the opposite it's not that you need to be smarter it's that you actually need to like ignore things and get mm. things out of the way like you don't need to add anything you need to remove the blockages um which is kind of the entire concept of of Grotowski's via negativa in terms of his actor training it's the idea that you have to work and there is a level here where um there's a direct carryover um for Dierkowski's Via Negativa, he and his, I don't remember if it's in his talk, Performer, or if it's in Tu es le fille but there's an insistence that, and I, I think this holds very true for experimental writing. You can't just approach experimental writing without understanding how writing actually works. Um, you can't be a dilettante, is what he says, to actually do this kind of work successfully. You have to understand technique. You have to work with stuff. You have to learn how things are working. And then once you get to that point, you can start removing all of the things that do not serve your purpose. Um, like a very literal example would be like, sometimes I write without punctuation. And that just that alone is something that certain people see and like their brain just does not want to and deal with it. And they're incapable of moving beyond the fact that there's no punctuation. Um, like when I was in college, I took a creative writing class and the, I, I turned in a piece, um, that didn't, that used space on the page rather than punctuation. And the, the professor was like literally unwilling to engage with the content of the piece mm -hmm. because he couldn't get over the fact that I was using space instead of punctuation. And I think there is a level where there's a level good experimental writing does require a lot more work than for one of a better term easy or traditional writing um like it's a lot easier to read a short story that is written exactly in the way that you are brought up that a short story should look like or something versus something that presents something different it's not that it's it's 
you have to be smarter. It's that you have to be willing to engage with the work more. Hmm. Um, and I think that willingness to engage is actually the only barrier to entry to experimental writing. Again, when it's done well, I think there is a lot of bad experimental writing. Um, and there's a lot of bad and good everything. There's a lot of stuff that also like is neutral. Who knows? Um, but I would insist, and I, I think this is something that there's kind of, there's definitely a thing where people do think that they are not smart enough to understand something. And if there is like one thing that like I hope anyone listening to this takes away from my long-windedness, it is that all you have to do is engage with a work to get something out of it. Um, like you don't have to do any sort of outside contextual reading to understand something, especially because I'm not concerned with understanding. I'm concerned with sort of feeling or a sort of uh, corporeal response to the work itself. If you just, um, if you are only trying to read something and understand it, if like, if someone were trying to understand my work, they wouldn't get anything out of it because like I, you know, just spent 20 minutes talking about it's try it's intentionally trying to go beyond understanding. So if you're trying to understand something whose entire purpose is to move beyond understanding, then you're probably not going to get much out of it. Um, and this is true. I mean, I think for me, what was kind of really helped me figure this out in a way was actually like a, a significant engagement with experimental film um, mm. because it's a little I want to say it's a little easier to fully give yourself over to something that's 15 minutes long than it is to like read a 400 page book that's like um, I don't know like Arno Schmidt or something whose whose work I have not been willing to do the work to engage with but Dalkey Press published all of his stuff and it's post and madness um there's a level of work needed. And if you're not willing to do the work, you're not going to get anything out of it. And, you know, there are times when I don't want to do the work. I just want to watch some dumb, shitty contemporary horror movie that I don't have to think about. But then there are times when kind of like, I want something more. I want a higher level of engagement. Um, I need something to kind of fulfill something beyond just that very base level of like hegemonic narrative interest or something. Um, so yeah, I mean, like my insistence would be like, you don't have to be smarter. You just have to like try harder. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I think even, even I get, get caught up with the, like, I don't know. I, I feel like a petulant child where it's like, yeah, but how do I engage with the work? Like beyond, beyond doing the reading, what would you say well, to somebody also, who gets, like, if you stuck can't there? find that on your own maybe you don't need to mm. like i'm always also kind of the person who's like you don't have to engage with everything other people tell you to mm -hmm. like i don't have a problem with the thought that my work is not for everyone i don't write it for everyone i mean that's like john's very big on that too yeah um like it's like i don't like you know like being a film fan there is a canon of films that like i feel like even more than the literary canon at this point that people are so insistent about their importance and like that like well yeah you don't have to like it but you have to admit that it it does what it does really well and it's kind of like okay like why sure. like what is this helping like 
I don't like this. It's not doing anything for me. I'm not interfacing with it. Why do I need to pretend that it's important? Um, Cause it's, it's just all of that insistence is always kind of the insistence that there is this sort of dominant mode that has to be followed. Um, and I just think that's, that's wrong. <laughs> mm. So, I mean, like, even I feel like there is work that I thought I was going to love that it, I, I'm not able to kind of work with it in a way that makes it rewarding to me. Mm-hmm. And like, definitely when I was younger, there were certain things when I was starting to encounter things and I would read about them, I would find it and be like, Oh shit, I'm not smart enough for this. Like I need to learn all this other stuff first. But what I actually realized is that no, I actually didn't like, I just, that, that's not work for me and that's fine. Um, but again, I'm not trying to also democratize experimental literature and offer a wide berth to mm-hmm. <laughs> people. Sure. So, but, Maybe for you, you do feel like you need to engage in different ways, which is also fine. Like, I will never be the person who tells you you have to do something a certain way. Um, I just like to hopefully paint the picture that there is not only one way to do things. Yeah, absolutely. I, I find myself oscillating between wanting to take a very, like, zen perspective of that, like, strip away everything um, that you would bring with you to the text and then, you know, read, experience it, and then move on. Um, there's a, a Dogen quote, I think, that's something like, once you get enlightened, you got to forget it and then yeah. start all over again. Um, and that's frustrating for, you know, uh, a, a 21st century kid. But then the other way that the other end I oscillate to is like, I want to know the um, techniques made, used to make this. I, in, the, in the Desert of Mute Squares, I like at the end where it's, you talk about, it's all these sections, and then I use the system to reorganize them. Um, I'm very into that as well. Um, maybe even selfishly as a writer myself so that mm-hmm. I can crib note it. But um, a thing that Grant Meyerhofer said on the show was that learning how other experimental writers um, write in a like mechanical sort of way made him feel like he was then being given permission to do either that or whatever it was that was hiding in the back of his mind being stopped. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that is a good point. But I think, again, I think there's a difference between what you just said there and the idea of kind of wanting to understand something. Mm. Like, kind of interest in the machinations of how something was shaped. Like, just because, you know, like my sort of coy revelation of the shaping of in the desert of mute squares doesn't actually fully reveal the text itself like it doesn't actually clear anything up (laughs) like it it, like it it, if anything like it functions to explain a process without actually adding any sort of insight to what the text actually does um 
And I definitely agree that learning about the actual kind of mechanics of constructing texts in various capacities is super helpful because it does kind of deliver alternatives from just like sitting down and trying to follow like a classical narrative structure. Um, and so I do think, yeah, like I would agree that that, that is very important and like it's cool to talk about, but I would, I would insist that there is a difference between the process of writing versus what um, the book or the, the, the letters on the page do. I'm mm -hmm. trying, I'm, I'm, I recently encountered uh, in kind of reading about ethnography and anthropology, this sort of push against the sort of Western world's insistence of reading everything as a text. Hmm. Um, and that's a very kind of academic way to put it. But it, because it inherently kind of closes off the door to how sort of indigenous cultures and also sort of ritual and spiritual uh, and religious groups interface with things. Um, like, the t like the idea of a text is the idea that there is one way to read something, that this text is, 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 is saying one specific thing. Um, like even, even outside of the Bartzian death of the author thing, there is still the idea of approaching something as a text in the theoretical term is still insisting on it as something to be read rather than something to be kind of interacting with. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, and that, that's why I'm, I'm like pausing before I call anything a text, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, because I think that does sort of inherently set it apart in a way where like, I actually recently was kind of articulating this in relationship to parkour. Um, this is going to be a weird way for how I segue into talking about a movement practice. Um, but most people think of parkour as the, the classic idea of parkour is moving from point A to point B as fast as possible through an environment over obstacles. Whereas uh, there have been kind of recent developments in free running or parkour that there's less of an interest in getting from point A to point B. And what has started happening is people are figuring out ways to actually interact with and communicate with these objects in the environment rather than just treat them as obstacles to surpass. So what ends up happening is some of these new veins of free running end up looking more like partner dancing, except the partner is a wall hmm. instead of a human. Um, and it's just kind of a, a a paradigm shift where instead of thinking of the text as this unknown as this thing completely separate from you that is a thing to be encountered to be read and to be moved on from it is something you can actually interact with um and that the book or whatever should be engaged with on its own terms but also on your own terms so you're bringing something to that book as well in the way that the book is bringing something the relationship there kind of uh, levels, there's no higher, like the idea of a text as sort of monolithic text thing kind of hierarchizes the book above the reader and the reader is just kind of encountering it in mm -hmm. a way where they have no input. Whereas if you kind of shift how, how you read, 
um, or how you encounter a wall, then there's much more that can happen without any sort of external factors needing to kind of come into play. Okay. <laughs> I, I see I see where you're coming from. Um like I get that. Um I guess more where I can't even remember exactly how I was phrasing it. <laughs> This is good. This happens at least once a show where my, my entire brain melts out of my skull <laughs> because it's just like, oh yeah, writing. I like it. I like, I like literature an awful lot and I just get into sort of ecstatic null state. Um, I think that my desire to understand a work isn't separate from understanding the creation of it I, th I think maybe that's where i get um bogged up sometimes i remember back in high school reading about like dolly paintings and how he's just like i get myself into a paranoiac state and i'm like great how do you do that <laughs> like give me the three steps to get into a paranoiac state because i want to paint paintings like that what he yeah. doesn't say is i learned how to paint like the masters and then i learned how to see the world in a different way yeah. which would have been much more helpful to me at 15. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I really like that idea of, of parkour. Um, uh, I, I feel like my reading of this type of literature has put me much more in tune with um, my body, which is something that's very strange to me and, and quite unexpected. Um you know, from from reading Never North's Sea Witch to, um, you know, kind of digging around in Mike Correo's work and how his, like, book is character sort of thing. Um, and then your work is very visceral as well. Why do you think we're... Do you agree that there's a, um, a sort of nascent movement to talk about the body and or why do you think that would be i would be hesitant to call it a current nascent movement mm. because um i don't think it's inherently a new thing um like the the some of the work that excites me the absolute most like other than people i've already mentioned is very tied to the body in a very textual fashion uh and that's like there's there's kind of a, a a group of French poets that are just endlessly fascinating to me. Um, that kind of you can collect them. All of this is always kind of reductive. Again, I always feel like I have to qualify whenever I try to group things together that this is not this should not be considered anything sort of like set in stone or like these individuals do not necessarily agree with this. Um, but for the sake of talking about them. Uh, a number of French poets who kind of call their work a creature, uh, which is, you know, the easy way to translate that would be writing. So they are writers uh, and they write writing. Uh, most of these writers were concerned more with the form of the book than with individual poems. Um, 
and just for some context, the people I'm talking about here are like Bernard Noel, um, Danielle Colobert, uh, Anne-Marie Albiak, and Claude Rouet Journeau explicitly. Um, Edmund Yabez is probably the most well-known uh, of any of this in terms of well-known French poets from the second half of the 20th century ago. Um, and there's more. It's kind of a lot of stuff published by like Burning Deck and other small presses, mostly on the West Coast and mostly not for a while. And there's even like a, an American writer, Craig Watson, who does this very, very well. Um, and part of it, I think, is actually the, the idea. I mean, we like the, the idea of the Cartesian split, the separation of the mind and body that kind of comes from enlightenment. I mean, it's just one of those things that has fucked everything up for so long. Like, it's kind of like the inherent motivating factor of a lot of the sort of hegemonic bullshit. It's this sort of resistance to an embodiment. And I think there's always these kind of micro movements where an awareness of the body is present. Um, and I think, I think maybe we are in another one, perhaps. Um, I'd, I'm going to just straight up qualify. I don't think I read widely enough contemporary literature to have a specific opinion of that, but of who you just mentioned, like I would agree with that for sure. Um, so it's interesting to me that you, you actually bring up that reading experimental writing has made you more aware of your body. Um, Cause that's kind of the weird, weird space I found myself in um, where between writing what I was writing and then kind of a, a heavy engagement with George Bataille's Somme Theologique, which is, you know, a lazy way to describe that would be the trilogy of inner experience on Nietzsche and uh, guilty ended up with me starting to develop a very intense yoga practice where I was practicing yoga for like two hours a day, six days a week, which then led to my current physical practice where um you know i train acrobatics i teach people handstands i spend a lot of time flipping off of cement walls um and to me there's a direct line of continuity between the writing itself and what i'm doing now in the sense that what i was working through experimental literature when you're not just trying to when you, I, I think the thing that makes experimental literature experimental a lot is that you're trying to do something other than just tell a story or just write a poem. Um, and because of that, you inherently have to encounter the fact that if you're trying to do something that surpasses kind of what is the classical understanding of whatever it is you're doing, the, the, the first block that is always there is that you have a body. Um, like you're literally writing with the body, whether you're mechanically typing or you're using a pen, like it's kind of one of those things that becomes invisible that you can't, you can't escape from. And one of the things I said earlier is kind of part of what I try to do in my work is to communicate the energy that I experience. Like that's not, that's not just a metaphor. Like I was writing a text. Um, I was, writing last night shockingly because i haven't been doing much of that lately and the energy to describe it is almost like 
a sensation of a current through the body. Um, that when I am within that sort of physical state, almost like a, a quiver or like a trance or an ecstasy or something, um, I have access to this thing that is what I'm interested in. And that's there's very much a level of corporeality to that. It's like your body is the vessel. Um, and so what I have spent most of my time doing for the last few years is to try to develop the technique of a physical practice to get to the point where I can try to communicate that energy in the same way I do with a written text or a book through movement. Because I think there's different, you can uh, communicate different things through different mediums. So, it, like, again, like, if, if there is something that I think is the reason experimental literature is important, I think the fact that you said it has brought you more awareness to your body is kind of a good example of one of the reasons experimental literature is important. Because to be in tune with our bodies in a very, like, and by that I don't mean just some sort of, like, be aware of how you are in the world, but, like, literally to be like oh wait i have like a flesh cage like i am actually in the world i am not just an idea is one of the solutions to a lot of the kind of ills of the 21st century like we are not just signifying language on a screen like identity is not something that is permanent and it is very permeable it is something that can change like the way that my body operates in the world is way multifaceted in a way that sort of the more that sort of these the way that people interact and especially in like the heightened way since all these shelter in place orders where people are now mostly on their computer screens the importance of a body and remembering that you have a body and are actually a physical thing in the world itself and not just a sort of didactic insistence of something is the only way to kind of escape all the horrible shit that's been happening. So what I'm going to read is actually the text of a pamphlet I just put out called Threshold Meditation um, on my new press imprint, whatever, Aphonic Space. Um, and it's essentially a photo book, but so much of my own work is kind of in the interaction of various media that for me, a lot of the times my photography work doesn't feel complete until there's a text attached to it and vice versa. Um, so with that said, this is kind of a trailer for the pamphlet because the experience of the text on its own um, is very different from the experience of the text in the book, which is kind of my qualification for almost anything I've written, is that it's going to be very different when you hear me read it versus when you experience it, reading it yourself, um, or in the context of performance. Um, but this, this text specifically is actually the most recent complete thing I've written. So um, I, it, I don't know, and I think it reads well, so. I should drink water first. Okay. 
The face of belief buttressed against God, the sand, the hill, the cliff, the edge, the sun burning, the night, no light, sink, the body, a vessel of thought toward the edge, the pole, gravity, the push, the body against the crumbling ground, this tension, this space inside of a glance, the earth fails like night fucking the day. Beyond the step, the body twists, a thought of light, the eyes close, the burn of rope against the sun, the edge of sky, the body in the world, the body touching the other body, the same body, the separation of one body upon another contra, the body's always tension dialectic. The attraction of landscape, zero, the desert, the space of the whole, the arid land of self, a decipherment of movement, a translation of the body next to itself, the ascent, diagonal, verticality, the steps to a vocalization of God, the horizon, endlessly an unapproachable edge like night, Duplicitous energy, failing, falling sand, tension, ceaseless light over the hill, the end or the edge or the limiting factor of the body, no temporal approach, landscape, predicated growth, distraction, obstacle, negated thought form, selling the impetus of progression or to still, aside from next to the difficulty of the sky. Pulling away from the center or locus, rather the resistance towards settling without pushing forward, the body inside of the light or the position, a portal to nothing but the other side of nothing, the other side of underneath, the other side of across from the body, the side of the across from the body. The push, the pull, breath, the light, the sand, the body, a body outside of next to the pole, the corporeality swallowing whole, the night, endless sun, cast a glance, a stone, many stones, breath, the pull, breath, the pull, the sand, beneath the body, resistance, tension, elasticity, the push, the pull, the breath. The body standing erect in place of the idea of the body, the corporeal figuration of gesture against progression, the postural space of the body, the light, the dry land. Structural imposition upon the body or the night, the sun, violent saturation, intensity, eradication of Euclidean space, the movement that is reposed, the night outside of the night, endless, violent, heliacal saturation, dead God, solar voice, no tongue, absent speech. Forsaken literality, when the verisimilitude of language never quite points to the idea of God, instead state inside voice to head the idea of self in search of corporeal invagination so as to find the duplicitous nature of the self as other, or divided apart no gash, just interiority broadcast in light and the mouth moves, as if to signify to the light the body is passing through. Night before sun, body in front of body, the movement that is repose. Pecatome of flesh towards the endlessness of being blind, hysterical gestures, immobility to delirium, the tension of the body, the balance between push-pull, the limitlessness of taut, scatological flesh, sliding over muscle, bone, to the state of being, the limit of the landscape, the heat of the sun, the dead gods, ululations, formless word, intensity, tensegrity, the pull of the body, formal disconnection, too much light, a leveling of negation, inside sight, lost to absent night, the emptiness of the sun inside the dead god, an infinite sensation of figuration within the blank, a white night, or the page, a thought of swelling thrust into the corporeal space of the image away from overcoming the self, moving beyond interpretation, signification, gesture, stance, form, posture, engulfed the wound of night, the desert sun beneath the sand, the earth to still the cold damp across from the self is across from the self inside the step forward, a lost thought of breath or gesture or the leg from moral joint, hip, foot, caress earth, but back again, never inside the out by beyond night in the sun, dead God, heat, scream, sustained intensity in place, purposeless, but the light. Implication of the guilty chance, mere movement. 
Nonlinear verticality of energy, the rising, falling, positioning, no value, negative, positive, only continuity inside of the tension, the reaction, frisson, movement inside the body, movement inside repose, to still with the heat of the absent night. Within static, stilled, anchored body inside, the fall begins, the fall man, the body, the fall, collapse into out of the fall, subterranean verticality, the rising, falling energy, sun, obstructed light, heat, what manifests its end? Deception. The sun beneath the garish night, excessive efficacy of near-death sound light, highlight the shapes of the posture, the interior encased flesh surrounds night, or the body's light flow, gush, pour, exude, lash, dispense, inundate, flood, seed, burst, spurt, the space of the day beneath the body or next to the night, the sun inside of the place it glazed, a gaze cast across from the body is across from the body. Inside the sight catches the form of objects contoured by day spring dawn light, bounded light edge of the sun, there the body, there the body, there the body, arc of perambulation immediately anchored to the day, as if the small task elongated. The contrast. Nascent passage, but only at the edge, interstice of flesh, border, the wound colors, the experience of the outset boarded beyond the habitable location, as if architectural space could side as both negative, positive, oblique and unambiguous. The posture can't even repeat itself. Clearly surreptitious. Words to be spoken while buried in a box beneath the ground. Body splayed like animal, dead before the god, light-eyed above the crevasse of the form, cracks in the earth, the body a wound, stilled before the night, away from outside of, apart from the night, the sun, the gasp of the dead animal static flight. If they say to you, where are you from? say to them, it is from light that we have come, from the place where light of its own accord alone came into existence and stood at rest, and it has been shown forth in their image. Centered in active rest, inarticulate consciousness, relentless spark of light, sight, closed behind skin, blood flow, pulsation, tempo, rhythm, blackness, rippling in the dark shapes, forming in the light, contours form the body. If they say to you, is it you? Say, we are its offspring, and we are the chosen of the living Father. If they ask you, what is the sign of your Father within you? Say to them, it is movement and repose. To have missed everything other than the center, the edge. Enveloped sand, anti-inside, the proclamation of movement. Verticality, night, stone, fold, collapse, gaze, energy, speed. Refusal of the voice, again, or. Nothing external, sight, inversion, stopped in the tensegrity, elasticity, stopped speaking to the body, sight beyond time, in, continu in, con in continuance. Processional abating, locatable hum, deep inside the stillness, vessel for continuity, circulation, dispersal. Abrupt mass, sincere violence, moan shut against light, softening the orifice, opening up, momentary lapse, consciousness abandoned to sun, all divided paths, tension clasped, priest, thirst, pressure, consists consenting to distance. Geometric shapes, inaugurating narrative, nasal exhalation, contraction of transverse abdominis, pulling navel to spine, the pelvic floor lifting, pulling the energy along the spine upwards, brachiation, coalescence, and the thought of the night before the day repetition. Sensitized musculation, phosphoric path, enlightened tear growth, adoration, the tip of the tongue, the limit. 
An absence of forgotten texts predicated upon the breath that show a new light away from the body, across from the body that is the body or the sun, across from the night, tape hiss of black, empty sight, a new edge, ocular starification to center on the edge. Inside of the angular mystery and ambience of consternation, the indication brought about by the word shiver, shake, convulse, jerk, shudder, completely disrupt the space of thought beyond immobilized flesh, the agitation non-visible. Inanimate gesticulation the movement that is repose. Relinquishing sensation as if the vitality of the body is culpable of tergiversatory ascent. Pattern repetition of discontinuity. Oxygenated bloodstream, a head rush, the opposite of vertigo, the resonance of anathemic postulate, the body finding sensation inside the outside, edge or beyond the... Thank you.